Our first reading is um, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The second reading is, as we continue Colossians, um, a bit of a tricky reading for some of us, and I really encourage you as... Um, Craig just prayed for us to remember that these are God's words to us and um, that he's helping us to understand them. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there's no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Thanks to that, Suz. Uh, Good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church Modbury. Stephen, our senior pastor, is actually off preaching at a, another one of the churches in our network uh, this morning, so he's, he's not here this morning. Um, I want to take you back to my year seven maths class back in the day. Uh, we we just done our first test for the year, uh, and instead of just um, quietly handing the tests back to each student, as you'd, you'd expect a, a teacher to generally do, our teacher did something that I've never forgotten. Uh, from, from the highest test score to the lowest test score, uh, he read out the name of each student, he read out the grade that we've got, and one by one, handed it back to, to each one of us. Uh, now, first few students got pretty high grades, so we, we just naturally clapped as they got handed back, and he got down to about 70%, and, and he said to us, all right, stop clapping. And he just kept, kept saying the name, saying the grade, Handing, handing them back, and there was just this silence throughout the classroom as, as all of these results got publicly revealed. Um, I can see a few of the teachers here looking horrified as I say that, which gives me great confidence for the, the future of our, our education. Um, but, but what he did that day, it felt wrong to me. Um, I, was, I was 12 years old, I, I didn't have the insight to understand what was going on, but, but looking back now, I can see that he was using his position of power to shame the people who were under his power. Uh, now, power is a complex thing. 
We, we wouldn't be able to function as a society without it. Uh, it can be used for great good, but it's also extremely dangerous. It can be abused easily, and the consequences for that are devastating. And, and we see it every night on the news. We've experienced it, all of us, to some extent, in our own lives. And the passage that we've just read describes three relationships where there's a natural power imbalance. So uh, wives and husbands, uh, children and parents, slaves and masters. And, and we know all too well the damage that can be caused by abuse of power in these relationships. And, and I'm mindful for, for some of us that this will be very personal for us. As Craig and Suz have both said, this, is, this will be a di- very difficult passage uh, for some of us to think about. And as you heard the passage read, perhaps the instruction there for, for wives, kids, and slaves to, to submit to, to other people struck you as a bit outdated, a bit dangerous even. We might wonder how are women and children and slaves being, being protected and being empowered? How is that happening? Well, what I think we see in this passage is a way of positively navigating the power dynamics that exist in our world. And, and we do that by recognising that our submission to the to people above us and our, um, our, the way that we use our power over people below us, they both come under the rule of Jesus. And they flow out of the identity that we have in Jesus. And now, we've spent the last few weeks looking at Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And last week, um, Paul urged us to live in light of who we are in Jesus. Uh, We have a new identity in him, which shapes the way that we live and act toward other people. Uh, Our relationships aren't meant to be characterized by anger or or malice, but instead they're to be full of compassion and patience and love for one another. And it's important for us to have that in mind as we, as we look at today's passage, where Paul is showing us how our identity in Jesus impacts the, not just these three particular relationships, but all relationships uh, where, there, where there's some sort of power difference going on. Uh, so Paul addresses wives and husbands first. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, um, this, this was written to uh, people living in first century Roman society, which, which, which was a very, very patriarchal society. So men, men held all the power. And even today, in, a, in a, very, a very different society that we live in today, in, in most marriages, the husband naturally has more power to some degree. Men, men tend to be physically stronger. Women are often out of the workplace for a while with, with children. And, and so as we come to this, we, we really need to be clear on, on what submission is and what it isn't. Um, so firstly, submission does not mean that wives are inferior to husbands in any way. We read in other parts of the Bible that Jesus himself submits to God the Father. But he's not inferior to the Father because, as we've seen earlier in Colossians, God's fullness dwells in him. So submission doesn't mean inferiority. And it also doesn't mean putting up with abuse. Um, Verse 18 needs to be read alongside the following verse, verse 19, where, where Paul says, Husbands, love your wives 
and do not be harsh with them. We can't just isolate verse 18 from, from verse 19. God wants a wife to submit herself in trust to a loving husband who is committed to her good, a husband who treats her with compassion and, and gentleness and all the other characteristics of relationships that, that Paul talked about earlier in the chapter. Um, if, if you're here this morning and you're, you're in a, an, an abusive situation or, or you know of someone who is, just know that this instruction for wives to submit to husbands, it's not intended in any way to lock you into that situation, to put you in harm's way. So if that's you, then please speak about that with, with someone here or someone elsewhere who, who you know and trust. Um, I, I'd be happy to talk about it. I'm sure Sally would be as well. Uh, Stephen's not here today, but he would be definitely happy to talk about, talk about that. It, it's really important to, to talk about that with someone who you're comfortable with and, and to help you to take next steps forward. Not, not to think that what the Bible is saying here is locking you into that situation. Uh, it's important also to realize that the marriage relationship falls within our greater relationship with God, which means that wives are, are to submit to your husbands only as far as you're obeying God by doing that. Um, so if your husband wants you to submit to his authority in a way that is um, undermining God's authority, then too bad for him. The relationship with God comes first. And, and the same thing goes for submitting to um, fathers and masters, as we're going to see in the coming verses as well. Uh, Paul's writing this letter to the Colossian church. He writes another letter to the Ephesian church where he explains that marriage is meant to symbolize the relationship between Christ and his church. Um, so wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And wives are to sacrificially love their husbands as Christ loved his church by dying for it. Um, so uh, submitting yourself to someone who is untrustworthy is, is a horrible thought. It's, it's a horrible thing to think about. But on the other hand, and it's, it's worth pausing and thinking about this, uh, submitting to someone who is committed to my good is a beautiful thing. And that's the picture of marriage that Paul has in mind here. Uh, so for the wives here this morning, one, one way I think this plays out is how respectful you are towards your husband around other people. Now, this is a, if you've spent more than five minutes on the internet, at some point you've probably seen this joke floating around the place at, at some point. I just bought my husband a Get Better Soon card. He's not sick, I just think he could be better. And now, Let's, let's be a bit light here. That's, that's a pretty harmless, harmless joke. No one's getting offended at that, hopefully. But, but if that becomes an ongoing attitude throughout a marriage, you, you can see the, the subtle danger that that can cause, can't you? Um, if a wife is, is consistently speaking critically of her husband, whether that's to his face or, or around other people as well, it's, it's going to undermine the husband's leadership because it's very hard to joyfully serve someone who disrespects you in a way like that. Uh, and for husbands as well, the question here is, are you leading and loving your wife in a Christ-like way? Are you repenting of harsh, bitter, 
unloving behavior toward your wife when you, when you recognize it? And are you seeking to, to put on that loving behavior towards her? Um, I heard someone say recently that, that the essence of manhood is using your power for the good of others. And I thought that was a really helpful definition, not just for the, for the husbands here, not just for the fathers, but, but for all men and in, indeed for teenage boys who are thinking about what that looks like down the track. The essence of manhood is using your power for the good of others. Guys, does that describe you as, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a man in general, using your power for the good of others? Um, it leads us into Paul's next focus, which is children and parents. Children, Paul says, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I think the first significant thing here is that Paul addresses children as equal members in the church. I think that's, that's worth paying attention to. And I hope that's our view of children in the church today as well. Um, what's happening next door in our, in our kids' programs right now is just as important as what's happening right here as our children engage with the Bible. Uh, to, so to everyone who serves on our, on our kids' ministry teams, thank you for what you do. It's, it's really, really important. And if you, if you listen to this sermon on the, on the podcast later this week because you were in kids' church when I preached it, then give, you, give yourself a pat on the back for me. Well done. Um, so for our children and teenagers here, and um, Joel and Beck explained this quite well before, part of what it looks like to worship God is being obedient to your parents. Honoring and obeying your parents actually really helps them in the God-given role that they have of shaping you and providing for you. So you and your parents really work together in that sense. Um, but again, it's a two-way street, isn't it? Paul says in the next verse, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now, I take it this instruction applies for mothers as well, particularly in families where mum is the only present or active parent. But they're words that fathers particularly need to be mindful of. How many fathers have left their children discouraged and, and deflated by their criticism, their ridicule, their harsh language, their unrealistic expectations, their absence, or, or any other unloving ways of parenting. Dads have great power, and with that comes great responsibility, particularly, I think, because the relationship that a child has with their father is going to shape the way that they think about God as their father. Now, it's, it seems like a bit of a low bar that Paul is setting for dads here. Just, just don't discourage your kids. That, like, you, you kind of want something a bit more aspirational than that as a father, I think. And, and we've actually already had that in the Bible. We saw it in our reading from Deuteronomy that, that Suz brought to us. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is God speaking. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So dads and mums, you have a vital role at not just teaching your kids who God is, but, but showing them, showing and modeling to them what it looks like to trust and obey him. Um, so don't weigh your kids down with criticisms or high expectations, but, but ground them in who God is and what he's done for them. 
uh, I was chatting to a guy a few years back. His teenage daughter had just given a, a declaration of faith at the, the church that we were at at the time. And, and, he, and he was saying afterwards, look, I'm looking forward to her 21st. I'm, I'm looking forward to her wedding day if she, if she gets married. But this is the day right here that I've been praying for most of all, the, the day that she declares her faith in Jesus. Look, if she spends her whole life driving a garbage truck for a living but trusting in Jesus, I'm going to be thrilled with that. I thought, I thought that was a great perspective for a dad to have. Now, Paul's final word here is for slaves and for masters. Now, when we think about slavery today, we, our minds go towards the, um, the African slave trade and, and all sorts of other atrocities. And, and we wonder, why is Paul even tolerating the idea of slavery here? Now, just to be clear, that the Bible is opposed to uh, slave trading in the sense of people being taken from their land and, and forced into slavery. Uh, we read the book of 1 Timothy, and, and um, Paul writes there that this is contrary to the gospel. It's right up there with all the other worst kinds of sins. Um, it's actually why, as a church, we partner with a lady called Maggie Cruz, who, who's linked with CMS. Uh, Maggie is doing great work over in Cambodia, helping to rescue children who have been forced into sex slavery. Now, now, now slavery in that sense is pure evil, and it's, it's, frankly, it's an honor to, to stand in opposition to it. Um, but the system of slavery in the Roman Empire was not perfect, but, but a little bit different to that. Uh, people often became slaves out of choice, um, whether to, to support their family or to gain Roman citizenship. Slaves, not always, but often had very good working conditions. So they could acquire property, they could earn their own freedom, they could, they could even own other slaves, um, whatever, you, whatever you think of that. Um, the, Bible, the Bible never endorses the Roman slavery system. It never says this is a, this is a good system. But Paul recognises it as a reality, a reality that no doubt could be horribly abused and, and tragic that that's the case. But he also recognises the power of the gospel to revolutionise what a relationship between a slave and a master could look like. So rather than trying to undermine the slavery system, Paul wants to see it brought under the rule of Jesus. He wants Christian slaves to be serving their masters and Christian masters to be providing for their slaves with the glory of Jesus in mind. And in fact, after our Colossians series, in a couple of weeks' time, we're actually going to look at a, a short but heartfelt letter that Paul wrote to a Colossian man called Philemon. And, and it's, it's all about how he ought to treat one of his slaves um, who was a fellow believer. So stay tuned for that. Um, but I want to apply Paul's instructions here to, to slaves and masters to our own workplaces today, recognizing that it's not a like-for-like -like situation, but, but there, are, there are similarities. Slaves back then were, were exposed to um, power abuse, much more so than, than most employees are today, but the principles still apply. Uh, so Paul addresses slaves here, and, and um, as we look at it, we, we see that for those of us who are who are employees, Paul is telling us here three things that should shape how we work for our employer. Um, the first one of those is sincerity of heart. Uh, we're to, to obey our masters, not only when their eye 
is on us, but, but with sincerity of heart. So working faithfully all the time, not, not just when the boss is watching, but doing it all the time. Um, second thing that should shape our work is serving Jesus. We're to do it with reverence for the Lord, working for the Lord, knowing that it's the Lord Christ who we're serving in this. And the third thing that should impact how we work is keeping our eyes on the prize. So Paul writes, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. This is, this is our motivation for, for working well for our masters. So, so regardless of whether my boss gives me the reward or the, or the credit that I deserve, trusting that in Jesus we look forward to greater riches than any job on earth could ever give to us. Uh, Paul doesn't just give instructions to slaves, but he gives them to masters as well. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So for those of us who are in positions of power in the workplace, Paul is saying, remember, you have a master in heaven. You have someone above you on the, the org chart, as it were, and serve Jesus in the way that you lead those people who are under you. Um, so there you have it, in the, the marriage, in the family, in the workplace. Living for Jesus means positively navigating these power dynamics in our relationships for the good of other people. Um, so whether we're submitting to, to someone who's more powerful than ourselves or, or leading someone who's under our power, we do it in service of Jesus. And we do it in light of the new identity that we have in Jesus. We do it remembering that Jesus both used his position of power, but also submitted to the will of his Father when he went to the cross to save us. And so our relationships reflect the beauty of this gospel message as we love one another with the sacrificial love that he first showed to us. Our world has a big power problem. Uh, we all know that. We, we see it all around us, from the bully that we meet in the schoolyard to the wars that we see on the news. Misuse of power is everywhere. And it's horrible. And the Bible's solution to this problem, it's not to try to eliminate power altogether, because that would be impossible. It's not simply to, to disempower the people who have power, because again, that, that in the end doesn't get us anywhere. The Bible's solution is to take the power and to, to bring it under the rule of Jesus. Now, we might think that Paul's instructions here are quite countercultural today as we read them. They were actually even more countercultural back in the day when they were written, um, but for a very different reason. Because in that society, husbands, fathers, and masters, they held all the power. Wives, children, and slaves were, were basically treated like property. So no one at that time would have had any doubt that a wife should submit to her husband. No one would have argued with that. But to tell someone that they had to love their wife or encourage their kids or treat their slaves fairly, well, that would have raised some eyebrows, to say the least. That would have cut right across the grain of that culture. And into this culture, Paul shows them that Jesus died for husbands and wives. 
He died for fathers and children. He died for masters and slaves. They're all equal in his sight. You can imagine this, this letter being read out to the Colossian church as they gathered together in someone's living room. Husbands and their wives, parents and their children, slaves and their masters, all, all sitting there listening together, rejoicing in the shared identity that they have in Jesus' death and resurrection. Now Paul speaks into these three particular relationships, three of the real dominant relationships at that time. But, but what he's saying here applies for any situation where there's a power imbalance, where someone holds power over someone else. And when you stop and think about it, you realize that power is everywhere. Um, sometimes it's, it's um, very, a very formal type of power, like a boss and their employee. Sometimes it's um, a very informal and a, a more subtle type of power, like um, the more popular person at school or the more popular person in the friendship group holds a certain level of power over the, the less popular people. Power is everywhere. Paul is writing here to a church, so he's primarily speaking about relationships where both members are followers of Jesus. Um, but even when that's not the case, the principles that he's giving here still have value for us. Uh, so maybe you're someone who, who trusts in Jesus, but you have a spouse who isn't a Christian, or a child, a parent, a boss, an employee who isn't a Christian. Even if that's not the case, you can still point them to Jesus as you use your power or as you submit to their power in a loving and sacrificial way. Or maybe you have a spouse, a parent, or a boss who is a Christian, but they're not treating you in a way that reflects Jesus' love. Uh, if that's your situation, then my first point, as I said before, would be uh, that if it's a dangerous or abusive situation, then, then your safety and well-being absolutely comes first. Um, otherwise, my encouragement would be to, to focus on your part of what it looks like to positively navigate that power dynamic. Now, I get that this, this won't always be, be easy, but um, to, to focus on how, how you can play your part positively in that relationship, but, but also where, where possible to gently and graciously point the other person to how God's word speaks into our relationships in this way in Colossians chapter 3. I realize these situations are rarely black and white. They're, they're always complex, um, but, but um, doing what we can to take into account the, the principles that God's shown us for positive relationships here in Colossians chapter 3 and doing, doing what we can, whether we're in power or whether we're under someone else's power, to see that happen. All of us here at some point, we're going to be in a position of power over someone. And all of us at some point are going to find ourselves under someone's power. Uh, so whether it's in the home, the workplace, or, or wherever it is, the question is, how can you honor Jesus by using your power for the good of other people? And how can you honor Jesus by serving the good of whoever he's placed over you? It's a great couple of questions to think through this week. I realize this is quite a, quite a heavy topic and it comes to bear in all sorts of different ways in our life. So let me, let me lead us in prayer for that. 
Father God, we thank and praise you for Jesus who used his position of power and submitted to your will when he laid down his life for ours. And we pray that our relationships would be a compelling reflection of his sacrificial love for us. Please help us to use our power for the good of others and to serve those who lead us in a way that brings you honour and glory. We pray for wisdom for all of us who are in situations where this is complicated and difficult for one reason or another. We, we pray for wisdom particularly for those who are in situations of power abuse. And we, we pray that you would provide for them. Now, we pray also for those who are living with um, guilt for, for how this has played out in the past and, and for how, how relationships have played out. For those living with guilt or, or resentment or whatever the case may be, we pray that in those situations that your grace would reign supreme in all of this. And, and for those of us who have made mistakes in these areas, that, that we would trust your grace and your provision to, to work powerfully and to overrule where sin has happened. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.